morning. Hi, how are you? Happy to see everybody. Pastor Jen here. And we're going to be starting our Thursday Connect here in a few moments. Good morning. Happy to see you. Thank you for joining us. And for those who watch at the beginning, we want to make sure you realize that you can always go back and watch it on YouTube or from our website. You can find all our social media platforms and be able to subscribe to our YouTube channel, ICF Rome. And this will help you to get those updates on Sunday services and special activities. So as my friends and sisters and brothers in the Lord are joining us today for Thursday Connect Live, type in the chat and let us know who you are and what you're doing. Good morning, Boriana. Happy to see you. Thank you, ICF, for helping to facilitate the scriptures and the notations of everything. So type in the chat, um, are you working from home, Boriana? Or are you working at the office? What are you doing? And if you're here in Rome, have you had a lot of traffic? Because the last couple days we have had a ton of traffic. I don't know if the lights are messed up or what, but um, so just touch base with me and let me know. Hi, Nisia. Happy to see you. Shanta, hi, welcome. We're glad you're able to be a part of us today on our Thursday Connect. And uh, just asking you to um, tell me a little bit about what you're doing today. If you uh, are working, you're working from home. Yes, all right. So, Boriana, is Michele in school or is he online school? And Shanta, are you working in South Africa? Are you working from home? Hi, Barb. I know for Barb, she's in America, so it's very early. So she's not working at the moment. Uh, but letting me know, Eunicia is uh, doing multitasking. And our team is doing multitasking. So uh, I'm happy to see you guys. It's Thursday Connect, and we are going to continue our book study on Be Comforted, our book by Warren Wearsby. Can you see that? Warren Wearsby. And I think it's so awesome. This is a book study on the book of Isaiah, and it's called Be Comforted. And we need to be comforted in this world that we live in right now. And the book of Isaiah has been so relative to what we're going through in our world. It's just amazing. So Shanta's working from home. Awesome. Barb's happily retired. She gets to hang out with the grandkids and her beautiful daughter and her wonderful friends. That's wonderful. Um, I'm also curious because this is kind of our round table. Tell me if what it's like temperature wise where you are. So in South Africa, is it cold? Is it hot? Is it summer? Barb, are you in snow? Tell me, here in Rome, it's very cold. On the car temperature when I come to church, if it's below 10, it's very cold. Today it was 6 Celsius. <laughs> so uh, tell us what your climate is like today, where you're watching from. Uh, awesome. Thank you. I got to get actually some hot water because it's cold. I'm going to let you type in the chat and tell us what you're doing. Let's see here. Very cold in Michigan. Hi, ready? Uh, okay, Shanta wasn't able to get the book. Shanta, I can email you. In fact, I could do it right now. Hang on one second. Isn't technology amazing? I have these three things. I'm going to email it to the email that I have for Shanta. Uh, let's see. It's going to go to Lewis. Ask him to send it to you. Thursday notes. How about that? Anybody else need uh, notes? I think Barb got a book, and I know some of the people that are going to be watching later um, were able to get a book. So, uh, all right. 
Well, let's get started. Let's pray. And oh, Shanta's is in the middle of a very hot summer. I love that. I wish I was in the middle of a very hot summer. But uh, we're glad you're joining us. So isn't that amazing how all around the world we're experiencing different things, but yet there's a common bond between all of us. And I'm thankful for that today. So um, I want us just to say, Lord, we thank you for this book study. We thank you for Warren Wearsby, who has written a beautiful analysis of the book of Isaiah in the Bible. And we thank you, God, that you, holy God, inspired holy men to write the scriptures. And we thank you for the ability to study and join together and relate the book of Isaiah to where we are in our life right now. So we thank you for that, Lord God. Amen. So we are starting, Shanta, I didn't send every page, but um, we're starting on chapter 8, page 111. Chapter 8, page 111. And just to remind you um, that last week we talked briefly about Hezekiah, and it was a short chapter on um, uh, future shock and glory, right? And, and, uh, so now we're going to talk for a moment, Isaiah 6, 36 to 39. One of the things this book has pointed out is that Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, is like a mini Bible. So we know in the Bible there's 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 books in the New Testament. In the book of Isaiah, there are 39 chapters referring to the old, the, the situation in the old, and then there's 27 chapters that begin to really proclaim uh, the coming of the Messiah and the promises of God. But one thing that we see every time throughout Scripture is from the beginning in Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation, there is a common thread of God's love, his creative power, man's sin, man's fall, God's ability to redeem and reconcile and the promises. So one of the things we've seen in this book study, in these first 30-some chapters of Isaiah, is that there is a prophecy, there is a prediction, and if people don't honor God the way they're supposed to, there is a consequence. But there is always that promise and that future way that God has already put a plan into place to redeem and heal and restore. And so this chapter is actually called God Save the King. And we had read about how Hezekiah was a good man, right? And he um, he was pointing the people to God and to the power of God. But last week, if you remember, we talked about the king of Assyria who came in in the end of chapter 36 and he, you know, was trying to tell them, don't believe this man. He's trying to weaken, you know, your situation. He told them, even in Isaiah 36, 16, do not listen to Hezekiah. Make peace with me, says this wicked king from Assyria, and come out to me. He's trying to weaken their faith. God didn't help you, but I'm a king. I'm a man. I can help you. And then I wanted to start today with this verse from Isaiah 36, 21. Isaiah 36, 21. It says, but the people remained silent and said nothing because the king had commanded them, do not answer. Now, as we start chapter 37 in verse 1, king, when the king Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes, he went into the temple, he began to pray, and he was asking God um, for that remnant that would survive. And it even says that he went in, in verse 14, he went into the temple, he spread everything out before the Lord, and he prayed to God, deliver us. And he declared what was true, okay? So I want you to look at Isaiah 36, 21. The people said nothing and remained silent. There's a lot of things about that verse. Um, the Lord was supposedly the God of Samaria, and it fell. But the Lord was the God of Samaria in name only because the people were not worshiping him. This is why the prophets foretold the fall of Samaria. But the Lord, for the Lord's own sake and the sake of David, the Lord would rescue them from the Assyrian army. 
Then we see that in Isaiah 37, 4, Hezekiah said, did exactly what Isaiah was calling the people to do. He turned to God and watched him come to Judah's aid. Turning to God. What does that mean? Type it in the chat. What does it mean to turn to God? What does it mean to turn to God? Here it says in my life application study Bible, turning to God means believing that God is there and that he's able to help us. That is our ready mindset, right? That I believe God is with me, faith has moved me, and now I'm ready, I'm expectant. When I turn to God, I'm expectant for him to do mighty things. So if we were in the room together, I'm on page 111, we go around, yes, Shanta, it means to seek his face. Awesome, wonderful. Um, when I, I want, when I seek his face, that means I want to be in, pro, in proximity to him. I want to be in his presence to rely on him. Yes. And this is a very important thing because some people who aren't in relationship with God might think turning to God is just one of many options. That's not what the Bible is saying. Yes, seek first and speak with him. Absolutely, Boriana. So I'm going to read a little bit from chapter 8. And I think it's kind of funny. And so you can read along with me if we're in page 111. One of the former Secretary of State's, Dr. Henry Kissinger, once told, this is in the book, once told the New York Times, there cannot, if you can remember Henry Kissinger, those of you that might be old enough, he was a very strong, forceful man. There cannot be a crisis next week. My schedule is already full. <laughs> Can you imagine us kind of, I feel like that's what I'm saying, like COVID, stop it. There cannot be any more crisis. My schedule is full. My mind is full. My heart is extended. I'm done. I don't have room for any more crisis. But what we see is that crisis come, whether schedule permits it or not, and sometimes they seem to pile up. May I remind you that this book was first written in 1994 and published. The book of Isaiah was written more than 2,000 years ago, before Jesus came to this earth. God's word is relevant to us right now in 2021. I think that is amazing, that the things that the book author was sharing were things from God's heart, from Isaiah, that were shared. Crisis comes. And we've heard it said, a crisis does not make a person, but it shows what a person is made of. A crisis does not make a person, but it shows what a person is made of. Now, I will say there are sometimes that there are phrases that we hear and colloquialisms or comments that, um, you know, we need to re realize that we need to look at those kind of things through God's filter. I agree, a crisis does not make a person, but I do believe that a crisis can strengthen me, can make me stronger. Hi, Lisa Dufresne. Um, a crisis can not only reveal the character that's in me, but it can reveal the character of God that I'm allowing to work in my life. So that crisis can actually make me stronger. It can actually make me more determined if I allow the Lord to do that. And so Hezekiah faced three crises in a short time. He faced an international crisis. You can type this in the chat for me. A personal crisis and a national crisis. I want to say that again. Hezekiah, more than 2,000 years ago, he faced three crises. An international crisis, a personal crisis, and a national crisis crisis. Now, I don't know about all of you where you're coming from and where you're watching from, but I will tell you that the crisis of the international globe of COVID and political unrest and so many things that are happening internationally have truly affected all of us. We can't travel like we used to. I can't go to a restaurant right now. 
uh, which you don't know how hard that is for me that doesn't like to cook. Uh, and we've been on a 21 day Daniel fast. I'm running out of recipes for vegetables and fruit. So um, I am giving these last few days of January to the Lord and I am seeing and feeling and experiencing the power of God. Um, an international crisis. We can all say, yes, that is relevant to where we are. He faced a personal crisis. So if you know how to raise your hand or you could say amen, have you faced a personal crisis in 2020? Have you experienced some kind? <laughs> you miss them too, Yanisia, yes. Thank you, Julia. Um, have you, thank you, Lisa. Have you faced or are you facing a personal crisis. It could be financial, it could be health, it could be family, it could be decisions. Yes, amen. So that's relevant to us as we study King Hezekiah. And a national crisis is, is thank you for raising your hand or saying amen. Is your nation in a crisis? You know, I have two nations. I have dual citizenship. So my nation of America is in a crisis mode. They are trying to figure out how are we supposed to govern our country and how is it supposed to be done with peace and wisdom and help restore people. <laughs> yes, they're ready. Um, but I live in Italy and we're also facing a national crisis. Our um, prime minister resigned to the president. We have multiple heads of organization of government here in Italy. Um, trying to figure out who's in charge and how are they going to move forward on rebuilding the economy of Italy. And um, I'm thankful that here in Rome, our numbers are going down. And so we are trusting the Lord for that. Thank you. Uh, Matthias, we're happy to have you join us today. Welcome. So Hezekiah faced three crises. And today we're probably not going to get to all of them, but you're going to be amazed at how we see this happening. So the first one is the crisis of the invasion and the international crisis of the of the Assyrian army. So I want you to turn over to page 112 if you have the book and we see that after all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. Second Chronicles 32.1 after all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, the Syrian army still got in and they still invaded Judah. So the, so the book says, has God turned a blind ear, a blind eye or a deaf ear to all that Hezekiah and his people had done? Of course not. The Assyrian invasion was part of God's discipline to teach his people to trust him alone. Yes, even Hezekiah had at first put his trust in treaties and treasures, and you can see that in 2 Kings chapter 18, only to learn that the enemy will keep the wealth but not keep his word. Have you ever heard of a politician promising something and not coming through on it? Um, oh, here's the wealth for you, but not all of it. Yes, we see the crisis of invasion. Judah had negotiated to get help from Egypt, which was an act of unbelief that Isaiah severely rebuked. Because remember, the children of Israel didn't need Egypt. They needed God. And that's what God was rescuing them from, even as they crossed over the Red Sea. Here is God's great purpose in the life of faith is to build godly character. That's why I said a crisis might not make you, if you haven't already put some seeds in, but I want you to know that in the middle of a crisis, no matter how much you have known God, no matter how much you have turned to God, in that middle of that crisis that you're experiencing, even now, God's great purpose is to build godly character. Godly character says, I trust in God more than I trust in man. So, Last year for sure, and even this year as we're going into 2021, we can see I can't trust that um, the, the World Health Organization, for example, you know, they had all last year that they could figure out and snap their finger and COVID would be gone. They're working on it. They're doing what they can, regardless of your political viewpoints. That is a world organization. 
Um, our individual countries are doing what they can to get the vaccine out, to get people educated, to help us do safety protocols in church and on in and not gathering in big, big groups, but social distancing. But God's purpose in all of this is to help us to trust in God more. So if I have developed godly character during my crisis, during the international crisis, during the personal crisis, during the national crisis, then my godly character is getting built. My faith is stronger. I will not let it be rocked, okay? And so I think that that is very, very important to understand. So I highlighted in my book that star right there. God is wanting to produce godly character in me. So in case I feel like giving up, I don't. It also goes on to say that the place of this meeting that was going to happen um, is very significant, for it is the place where Isaiah confronted Ahaz. So when you read scripture and you look back and you compare from, this is what I love about it, okay? When we look at the book study, and he gives us other scriptures, we've looked at Ezekiel 33, 11, I think it is, where it says God does not delight. The sovereign Lord says, I don't delight in the death of the wicked. I wish that they would come to me and turn to me and I could restore them and heal them. And I think that's a very powerful witness, but it's also a very powerful evidence of that thread that I was talking about that goes through scripture, that God wants to redeem each of our lives, even if we haven't trusted in Jesus yet. The Bible says, trust in the Lord. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God the creator, and he will direct your paths. And so these are very important things as we compare scripture that we also see these books in the Bible were Believe We believe Holy Spirit, God, inspired holy men to write these Bibles. But when we see this one wrote it before the birth of Christ, and then the apostles and, and Paul wrote some after the birth of Christ, and we see that he, Jesus even quoted some of the Old Testament scriptures. It just helps you in case you wondered if the Bible is true from Genesis to Revelation. It's true. These threads, these prophecies and predictions in Isaiah the ones that have already happened, we see in the New Testament, they did come true. They were fulfilled. It was a real thing. So that means if the prediction is that the Messiah is coming, whoop, 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 Jesus is coming back. And that is a prophecy that I can trust in. Amen? Amen. You can say amen or oh me, but I believe it's true. So the, the first thing that we see about this invasion is that there was a reproach. The field commander's speech is one of the most blasphemous, insolent found anywhere in scripture because in chapter 37, verse 4, verse 17, and 23 to 24, he had the nerve to reproach God, the God of Israel, because he knew that the common people were listening and he wanted to frighten them. He was using a masterful piece of psychological warfare where he could discredit everything that God's people held dear. The key word is trust. Use seven times. In what is your confidence? In what do you trust, he asked. You can have no trust in this, no confidence in this, for everything you trusted in has failed. Not true. So here's a personal testimony from me, and I'm not in a big hurry because I want us to be able to apply these principles. The children of Israel, as I said, they, even in Second Chronicles, they're saying they had prayed, and yet they were still invaded and conquered. And they at one point said to God, we prayed and so why God, why is this still happening? And God's reply to them was, I want to know Israel, do you trust me or do you only trust the answers to the prayer you pray? God's saying to the children of Israel, I'm allowing this because I want you to trust in me more than you trust in the answer." And I want you to know that at a very dark, personal um, tragedy in our family with our daughter, our oldest daughter, I 
was having a really hard time saying, God, we have prayed. We have raised these girls to know you, to trust you. And an enemy came in and literally, physically, literally stole my firstborn daughter, kidnapped her, took her away to another country and abused her in every way possible. And I didn't know where she was. I didn't know if I would get her back. I didn't know if she would survive. And I will tell you that in those few months in the beginning of that very difficult personal crisis, I was saying to God, how? Just like the children of Israel, how did this happen? And I was reading this passage, this very passage of scripture. This was almost 20 years ago, 15, 16 years ago. I sat down on the edge of a ledge in my house where I was listening and reading the word of God every day because I didn't know what else to do. Literally, I was taking scripture like some people pop pills. I was reading a scripture, read a scripture, read a scripture. And I heard the Lord say, do you trust me because I answer prayer or do you trust me because I'm God? And in that moment, I, it was like I rededicated my life to Jesus again. I had not gone out into sin. I had not done, but I had doubts. And in that moment, I said, God, I trust you because you're God. If you never answer another prayer, if I never see my daughter again, if it doesn't turn out the way I expect, I trust you because you're God. And I will tell you that in that moment, that burden lifted and I put my crisis back into the hands of God. I turned to God and I said, it's not about the answers. It's about the very nature of God. You are Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You will provide me with peace that passes my mental and human understanding of this situation. For those who don't know, God did redeem our daughter. He did rescue her almost a year later. She came back very broken. And the healing and the redemption process was many years, four, five, six years. But God restored her. And now she is an amazing wife, mother, lawyer, uh, businesswoman, still ministers the gospel as she was doing even before that happened to her. I want you to know that the word of God is powerful and he wants to build our character. So who is this enemy? We could say that this king of Assyria is like the enemy of our soul, saying, why are you trusting God? Hasn't he failed you? Um, you've been praying all this time and you still got COVID. You've been praying all this time and you still got all these situations. You still have cancer. You still have this. You still have that. Guess what? I don't trust God because I'm healthy or not. I trust God because of who he is. I, I trust God whether COVID gets cured or not. I trust God if I'm quarantined for the rest of my life. God, please don't make that be true. I trust God. I must stand on the power of his word. I must see that the enemy even came to Jesus in the wilderness. Come on, if you're who you say you are, make this happen. Even at the cross, there were people yelling at Jesus. You said you were the king of kings. Why can't you take yourself down from that cross? Sometimes God expects us to sacrifice our joy, to sacrifice our human comfort, so that the godly character within us will be developed. Amen? Amen. So we're on page 113 in the book. And here's what I want you to know. Just so you understand the strategy. He begins with their strategy. He, they had turned to Egypt for help, but Egypt was a broken reed. As for trusting the Lord, that was sure to fail, according to them. Hezekiah had incurred the Lord's displeasure because he had removed all the high places and required everybody to only worship in Jerusalem. What did a heathen soldier know about the worship of God? So according to the field commander, Judah had no help on earth, Egypt, or in heaven, the Lord. They were already defeated. As the enemy said, well, obviously your country's not helping you. Obviously, the WHO, the World Health Organization, isn't helping you. Oh, is God helping you? Are you sick? Did something happen? Did you lose your job? Listen, that is the enemy of your soul. And we can see that in Hezekiah's life. Amen? 
Amen. Turning to God in all things. Thank you, Lisa, for contributing to there. Lisa, tell us where you're watching from today. We, we're happy that you've joined us, and we want to know where you're watching from. Amen? And so we jump down, and we see that here's what it says. The field commander was that everything Assyria had done was according to the will of God. That's a lie. That wasn't true. How could Judah fight against its own God? But no nation, and it gives you passages of scripture to look up. Daniel 5.21. I want to read Daniel 5.21 to you. Um, it says, no nation can do what it pleases and use God for the excuse, as Sinecrab and his army would soon find out. In Daniel chapter 5, verse 21, it says that he was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys. Uh, 21, hang on a minute. Belshazzar knew Babylon history, and he knew how God had humbled Nebuchadnezzar. Nevertheless, Belshazzar's banquet was a rebellious challenge to God's authority. No one who understands that God is the creator of the universe should be foolish enough to challenge God. But here's what it says. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until... Somebody type in until. Yay, Lisa from Brighton. Until I used to live in Commerce Township, right around the corner from Brighton in Commerce Township. Listen to this. Until he acknowledged, I'm in Daniel 521, until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdom of men and sets over them anyone he wishes until they acknowledge that the Most High God is sovereign. That's what I had to do when my daughter was going through her dark place. That's what I had to do when Pastor Rick was going through a tumor in his head that they said was going to eat his brain. And then they aborted the surgery and said, basically, he's going to die or lose his ability to speak. We don't know what to do. It's over. Mm -mm. Until we acknowledge the Most High God is sovereign. He's in charge. Each one of our days are numbers. Ecclesiastes says there is a yes, Shanta, until. Amen. Amen, Eunicia. And so we are thankful that God's continually producing great character in us. We go over to page 114, and it says, Hezekiah and Isaiah had told the people to trust their Lord, but the field commander had reminded the people that the gods of other nations had not succeeded in protecting them. Hezekiah knew why. He said it in Isaiah 37, verses 18 through 19. Uh, it is true, he said, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these people, and they've thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. Uh, and these were things fashioned by human hands, but, O oh Lord, deliver us from your hand so that all may know that you alone are God. In other words, Isaiah is acknowledging, Hezekiah is acknowledging, yes, there are some of these battles, but I need to be realizing that God wants me to acknowledge that he's God. And in that day, for me and my personal story, I had to remind myself again that the police were not in charge, the FBI were not in charge, and they were involved to try to find my daughter. That the medical doctors and all kinds of medical doctors that she needed afterwards, that ultimately God was sovereign. He would take care of it. And I had to put it back in his hands. I had to trust him. And so God summons us, even in 2 Corinthians 15, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. So you look it up. Somebody look up 2 Corinthians 5, 7 and put it in the chat. God summons us to walk by faith and not by sight. Right now, we see things in the international world. And I believe God is saying to you today, be comforted. Don't be worried. Don't declare death over one political party or another. What we declare death over is the enemy of our soul, the things of the ways of wickedness that would try to steal, kill, and destroy us. What we can pray, as the Bible commissions us to do, we pray for the leaders of government, that they would have an encounter with the Most High God, and that they would recognize there are things that they can do to help sustain a country based on biblical values. 
based on true right and wrong. And so we can trust that God is sovereign and we can see, remember that thread through the Bible. Yes, people come along and they rip it apart. But God is sovereign over God's children and he's reminding us to walk by faith and not by sight. Today, maybe you've been walking by the what you see in the bank account. Maybe you've been walking by what you hear on the news. God is saying to you, remember, I'm sovereign. I've got a plan and it's in motion. God has a plan. You can type that in the chat. God has a plan. None of this has taken God by surprise. God is sovereign and he has a plan. The second thing we see about Hezekiah in these chapters is repentance. By the king's orders, nobody replied to the commander's speech. Insolence is best answered with silence. Jerusalem's deliverance, listen to this, Jerusalem's deliverance did not depend on negotiating with the enemy, but on trusting God. Thanks for those amens and those claps. Amen, I see it and it encourages me. Insolence. That means like insulting God and ignorance. You can't deal rationally with irrational people. You can't deal intellectually with people who are not intellectual. You can't deal rude for rude. Two wrongs don't make a right. Jerusalem's dependent deliverance did not depend on negotiating with the enemy, but on trusting the Lord. We have to be reminded we don't need to negotiate with the enemy. We need to sit at the feet of God and say, you're sovereign. I don't know what to pray, so I'll pray in the Holy Spirit. I'll pray scripture as we've been doing on Wednesday night. And so we see in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, Hezekiah and his offers um, in this book, it says they humbled themselves before God and they sought his face. We see in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, you know it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that's every one of us. Don't point a finger at somebody else and say, if they will humble themselves, if my people will humble themselves. Yes, Michelle, and watch God work. Amen. Then, they got to pray, they got to humble themselves, they got to pray, they got to seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Amen. Thank you for that, Lisa. Yes, last night was very powerful. We kept praying even after we signed off. Even the Lord had brought Assyria to chasten Judah. He had determined, even though the Lord had allowed this to happen, he had already determined in his plan that Jerusalem would not be taken by the enemy. In the building up of our faith, the word of God and prayer go together. Wow, that's what we're doing on Wednesday night, the word of God and prayer. And we see that in Romans 10, 17. This is why Isaiah sent the king a message from the Lord. His, his message of encouragement had three points. Don't be afraid. The enemies will leave, the Assyrians will depart, and the great king will die in Assyria. When the, now remember in Isaiah 2, there's a, there's a parallel between what was currently happening in the Old Testament times that the writer is also writing about and prophesying and predicting, and it all came to pass. is a way of showing us that the word of God is real, but there's also... Uh, a relative parallel with Isaiah talking about the end times, that Jesus is coming back, that there is coming a Messiah and the great king of Assyria, the great enemy is going to be defeated. There is coming a day when the enemy of our soul will no more torment us, where he will not have rule and reign over God's people and we will either go to heaven and there will be no tears, no sorrow, no sickness, or we will reign with him when he comes back for a thousand years. That's a whole nother book study, the book of Revelation. Um, but this is what I want you to know. This Isaiah is a message for us too. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The enemy is going to leave. I can tell you, COVID is going to get conquered, and this enemy of COVID is going to be defeated. It may make our world look differently. We may be healthier in some ways, 
but God is going to do it. Hezekiah's prayer is saturated with biblical theology and is not unlike the prayer that you might see in Acts chapter 4. So look at this. Um, ah, from Fenton. Yay, Pastor Carl Jones. Awesome, Lisa. Um, okay, so Hezekiah's prayer in Isaiah 37 is saturated with biblical theology. And I want you to see these four points from that prayer in Isaiah 37. Number one, he affirmed his faith in the one true and living God. He says, it is you, O Lord, and that we may know that you alone are God. There's one true God, eternally existent in those three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He affirmed his faith in the one true God. That's what I had to do that day. When I had to say, God, I trust you because you're God, not because you answer prayer. If you never, I literally said, if you never answer another prayer, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to keep moving forward. Did he answer the prayer to restore and bring my daughter? He did. Sometimes the answers are different than we expected. My father died of cancer. Um, my stepmother is surviving with cancer. I don't understand the sovereignty of God sometimes, but I affirm my faith in the one true God. Yes, Boriana, in the living God. Amen. The second thing he did is he worshiped him. Jehovah is the Lord of hosts and that he is the Lord of armies. Um, and you can look at some of these parallels in Psalms. Uh, where am I? Let's see. I think I saved it over here. That's 126. We're going to read that later. Psalm 46, Psalm 46, if you were at the table, we'd be doing this, so don't you just feel like we're around the table? Psalm 46, God is our refuge and ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 46. Amen, Michelle. It takes God's time. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though rivers, waters roar and foam and mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. And here's a special passage where it says, God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at the break of day. Here's that international thing again. Nations are in uproar. Is that relevant to us? Yes, it is. The kingdoms fall and he lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So we thank God. We affirm him. We worship him that he is the Lord of hosts. We also say, God, thank you that you are the creator of all things. And he knows what he is doing in creation. He is the creator of God. He can create a miracle. He can create a solution. He can create a healing. He can cre I've had people looking for a job that actually got a job where there had not been that job before. The job was created for them. That is the hand of God upon their life. God does that. I can also tell you that... Um, I don't know if I shared this with you guys a couple weeks ago. I think I might have. But when we pray for finances and resources, um, you know, God works in mysterious ways. We actually had one of our utility companies send us a check back. That never happens in Italy, uh, at least not in my experience. So not only did we get like a zero bill, I mean, we had a bill, we pay our bills, but they sent us a check. God is the creator of very unique miracles and answers to prayer. So don't forget, as we repent, as we, that's what I had to do that day. I literally, that's why I said it felt like I gave my heart to Jesus all over again. Because I had to say, God, forgive me for being mad at you. You aren't the evil one that just took my daughter and snatched her away and is hurting her. God, you're in charge, you're sovereign, and I know the word of God is in here. And it was literally the word of God within her 
she did her own spiritual warfare during that year and she would quote scripture that would come to her mind and that is what kept her then as we got her back and she was broken physically emotionally spiritually mentally um it was the word of god coming back to life in her that restored her completely restored her so god is faithful when we repent christians need to repent we have to say to God, I'm sorry that I doubted you. I'm sorry that I tried to be the boss of you, God. I, you know I want it to be this way. But if you choose to allow the enemy to come in and conquer, I know that you have a plan for redemption. And I can stand fast on that plan for redemption. And the fourth thing that he did was he had ears to hear. He knew that God had ears to hear the plea. And we can see that in Psalm 115. Then there was a reply. So there was a, a reproach, shame on you for listening to it, the king of Assyria, shame on you for doubting the sovereign God. Then there was the need for repentance, which we have to do so that we don't become prideful. Um, and then there was the reply. God's response to this prayer was to sing, send King Hezekiah another threefold message of assurance that Jerusalem would not be taken. You could put your name in there, that I won't be taken, that God is going to take care of me, that the Assyrians would depart, that the sin would depart, that the sickness would depart, that the attack of the enemy would depart, and that the Jews would not starve, and that in the midst of not being able to go to a restaurant, I won't starve. I can eat fruits and vegetables. I can eat nuts, and God is faithful. Thankfully, Pastor Rick likes to cook and use new, new recipes, so that's been very helpful, too. <laughs> um, so we see that God replied to the prayers of his people, turning to them. Now turn over to page 116. We've got about 15 minutes, and I'm going to finish up, and then I want you to know that we will also go into the illness crisis next week, and it's going to be powerful. Um, God said on page 116 in our book that we're reading, God also saved Jerusalem because of a covenant with David. Jerusalem was the city of David, and God had promised that one of David's descendants would reign on the throne forever. This was fulfilled ultimately in Jesus Christ. So here's that parallel. We see it in Isaiah. We actually see it in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We see it in 1 Kings 11, and we see it in the New Testament, Luke 1, 32-33. But God did keep David's lamp burning in Jerusalem as long as he could. Amen, Lisa. Sickness will depart. The second thing was that as we believe it, the Assyrian is departed. God addressed the proud Assyrian king and reminded him of his boastful words. He and his servants had spoken about I and my seven times in this passage, and it reminds us of Lucifer's words in Luke. Uh, I think this might be Isaiah 14, but also in Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. I, this is my kingdom. I'm going to leave heaven. I'm not, you know, because Lucifer was in heaven, but he tried to challenge God, and God threw him out and all his little demon angels because pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16, 18. So what happened? God humbled them and God got the victory. Ultimately, God got the victory. Uh, God's people got the victory. The, the second, the third thing um, is that the people would not starve. We do not know the month in which these events occurred. It could have been some time before producing a new crop. They would need to renovate their farms after all the damage that had been done. You know what? There's been some damage done. The farm represents our workplace. It represents our careers. It represents uh, our livelihood, whether in America, whether probably in South Africa, whether here in Italy. There's going to have to be some rebuilding because of what the enemy of sickness has done to God's people and to this place. There would need to be some renovations. But the same God, type that in the chat, the same God, the same God who delivered them would provide for them. The same God who has delivered you will provide for you. The same God. He's the same.
same yesterday, today, and forever. So in Psalm 126, it says, it even makes a reference. I'm at Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, here's that international approach, Here's that international. It was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. That is a promise of restoration. Thank you for typing in the chat with me. Yes, he will restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap in songs of joy. Those who go out with weeping will carry seed to sow and will return with songs of joy, carrying the sheaves with them. Psalm 126 is a psalm of restoration. This is God's reply to our crisis. This was God's reply to the international crisis going on then. Some Bible scholars believe that Psalm 126 was written to commemorate Jerusalem's deliverance from the Assyrian army. The psalm is not referring to the Jews' deliverance from Babylonian captivity because that was not a sudden event that surprised them. And Psalm 126 fits best, if you like to parallel, with the events of Isaiah 36 and 37. The harvest promise in verse 30 parallels Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6, the seed would certainly be precious in those days. That grain could be used for, oh, somebody say preach it. That seed would be precious in those days. The, gain, the grain would be used for making bread for the family, but the father must use it for seed. So it is no wonder that he weeps. God promised a harvest and he kept his promise and the people did not starve. And I want to say right there, that this is where what we learn from the book of Isaiah and the King Hezekiah's issues with the international crisis, the personal crisis, and the nation's crisis. Yes, thank you, Michelle. The enemy may say you won't make it, but God says I will set you apart. Amen. There is a seed. So as we have studied the Word of God all these many years here at ICF Rome on Thursday mornings, and we saw that thread of God creates. God has a plan. He puts it all in motion. He holds the stars in place, and he pushes the water in and out from the ocean. He is in charge. Amen? And yet man continually benefits from God's creation, and then man tries to say, oh, it's all me, it's all him, let this king, let this ruler, and now we even have some people trying to say, oh, you know, it's not God, it's this party, this this pop political party, or this political man, or this, while God uses those people, God is in charge of blessing my life, and when I receive the blessing of the Lord, it's because I put a seed deep in my heart that I would see, yes, the enemy is constantly trying to come and snatch up. Like if you ever sowed a, a seed and a bird came and took out your seed, that's what the enemy does. But God is saying, we said last night in our prayer, God is saying, I'm hovering over her. I'm hovering over him. I'm protecting the seed of the word of God that's been in her heart that's been in your heart, I'm protecting it so that that seed will grow, that fruit will flourish in time of crisis, and you will be part of the answer to the prayer you pray. So even now, as our cities and our countries and our world are trying to kind of get things back in motion, but still not too sure, let us not be weary in well-doing. Let us remember that God is sovereign, that God is in control, and we will trust in the psalm. God has promised us a harvest, and he is faithful. I'm reading through the New Testament right now, and I'm in the book of Acts. And last night, I felt like the Lord said it to me, but uh, don't give up, get up. Don't give up, get up. And in case you want to know if that's a word from the Lord, just start reading the book of Acts. I think I'm somewhere around... 
uh, Acts chapter 8, 9, 10, somewhere in that category, I was amazed as I was reading that so many times there's a reference to get up. Jesus said to the man that was sick, take your mat, get up and walk. That man would not have been healed if he did not get up and walk. Um, there are many times when God is saying to us, when Hezekiah was reminding them, get up, our God is in control. That day when I had to talk to Jesus about my doubts, they were deep doubts. And I've been serving God for many, many decades. But I had to say, God, I'll get up. I will tell you that for me, that time period where I didn't know where my daughter was and I was devastated, uh, there were a lot of days I didn't get up. I prayed. I didn't get up and I didn't go out. But on that day, I felt the Holy Spirit do something inside of me. Don't give up. Get up. God is at work. On that day, when the doctors came out after they aborted that surgery, thank God I had about 10 pastors in that waiting room with me, praying with me. Now you can't have people in the hospital, so remember this. No matter what the doctor says, no matter how long it's taking, you don't give up. You get up. And even if you're sick, you have to get up. You have to exercise your lungs so that they don't get stuff in them. They give you that little breathe-a-meter thing. You have to try to get up and move. Walk a little bit so your body keeps moving. These are important things. These are important things we see in the book of Isaiah. And so as we will look at Hezekiah's in illness crisis next week, we'll start on page 118. And I promise to try to finish that chapter. I want to ask you these two powerful questions. And if you have time, I'll, I'll wait for a couple minutes so you have time in the chat. What difference do you notice when you face a crisis in the Spirit's power versus your own strength? What, and Lisa just put it there even before I ask it. He is the strength in our weakness. What difference do you notice when you face the crisis in the Spirit's power. Yes, Shanta, we believe the report of the Lord. What difference do you notice when you face the crisis in the Spirit's power, not in your own power? That's question number one for you today. And two, what principles can you glean from Hezekiah's experience that would motivate you to become a person of prayer and one who trusts God? What principles can you glean from Hezekiah's experience that would motivate you to become a person of prayer and one who trusts God? I'll tell you, one of the things is that, yes, Boriana, we notice peace. That these times when Hezekiah turned to God, that's when he heard from God. That's when God was with him. That's when he was bold and successful. When he turned away, and he tried to do it in his own self or his own strength or when he tried to trust in Egypt or he tried to trust in another country or his people did. I also can notice from Hezekiah's process that the enemy, that king, that Sennacherib, he kept trying to come and say, oh, you already trusted in that. That didn't work. And you already trusted in God. That didn't work. So trust in me. I can recognize from Hezekiah's life that when I have those doubts in my head, when I have that trust, yes, Lisa, I remember that God is faithful. When I have that, it's not the first time Hezekiah experienced it. It's not the first time Jesus experienced it in the wilderness and on the cross. Amen? So for those of you that are doing the book study, Lisa, the book is called Be Comforted. Somebody can put that in the chat for me, and it's by Warren Wearsby. Isaiah, there's a series of these books, but that's not the next one we're going to go to. Warren Wearsby, Be Comforted. It's an awesome book, uh, a great study on Hezekiah. And so we thank God that we may face a crisis, but we serve a risen God. We get, yes, Yeti. You ready? We get peace and confidence. Barb, he's the only way. Amen? Amen. So whatever your crisis is, whether it's international and it's affecting you, whether it's personal and it's affecting your physical, your emotional well-being, or whether it's because of what's going on in your country, the national I mean, isn't it amazing? That's what's in the book that was written in 1994. That's what's written in Isaiah. I got to show you my Bible. I just love my Bible. This is my life application study Bible. It's so powerful. 
I want you to know God is with you. God is for you. Yes, Lisa, we can trust his covenant with us. So, Father, I thank you for my friends today. I thank you for those who will watch later, as I know many do. May they remember that regardless of the crisis in our world that's affecting all of us in so many ripple effect ways, regardless of any personal crisis that we may be encountering, regardless of any national crisis where our own home country or the places where we're residing are um, in so many different kinds of turmoil, None of this is bigger or greater than our Father God. So God, we remember today God is in control. We remember today that God is sovereign. We remember today that as we trust in the Lord, we will not doubt him because he doesn't answer our prayer in the way or the time he's at. we've asked him. I love him and I serve him because he's God. He's Jehovah and he has good days ahead for each of you. I love you. I pray that you will be blessed. Um, we are a little bit more than halfway through the book, so you probably still have time to benefit for sure um, by ordering this book or joining us online. It's been my pleasure and privilege to study Isaiah with you. And um, thank you for joining us from all over. I'm glad to know that you're being a part. God bless. Like this video and share it. Will you do that for me? Like it and share it. And if you can, go to the YouTube ICF Rome channel, subscribe to that, and watch us on there too as we continue to reach the lost. Love you. Thank you for joining us.